Good morning. The scripture reading for today is from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian and a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you at The Way today. You know, with the pandemic getting worse, I hope that you and your families are all healthy and safe. In the Harvard Business Review, Christine Riordan points out that there's a difference between diversity and inclusivity. Just because an organization has diversity doesn't mean that everybody feels valued or has access to the same opportunities. For example, even if there's a lot of diversity in the workforce, if management are all white men, it's not really inclusive. And I think a lot of us, we've experienced this, a kind of glass ceiling where we, we seem capped, or a sense that we're on the outside looking in. Even if we're in the room, we're, we're there, but we're not we're still feeling like we're on the outside. She says that inclusivity is is really challenging because it goes up against social norms, some strong social norms, and she lists four. Number one, people gravitate toward people like themselves. That we tend to identify with people who are similar. We like and trust people who share our attitudes and values and traits. Number two, Subtleizes persist and lead to exclusion. That there are subtle forms of discrimination where a leader, even unknowingly, just doesn't talk with certain people as much or is just not as kind towards certain people. Number three, outgroup people sometimes try to conform. Sometimes people in the minority try to downplay their differences and try to take on the characteristics of the majority so that they could try to fit in. Malcolm Gladwell, in his podcast, tells the story of Sammy Davis Jr., who, as one of the first African-American celebrities, how he had to try to cater to a very white audience, so much so that there were other African-Americans who saw him 
as a traitor. And then number four, people from the majority sometimes put up resistance. Even if there is a leader that's making good and honest efforts toward inclusivity, there are others who may feel a sort of reverse discrimination and they push against it. See, as much as we like the words diversity and inclusivity, the truth is, despite even good intentions, this is going uphill against the grain. We do not naturally drift into inclusivity. Our human instinct is to stay with people a lot like ourselves. Well, I'm doing this two-part series, today being the first, titled, Not Like Us. But the gospel breaks down barriers and causes us to have a new identity and and forges a, a united community. Today's passage tells the story of Philip and how he's led by the Spirit to share Jesus with an Ethiopian eunuch who then gets baptized. A few things about this Ethiopian eunuch. One, we know that he's the queen's in charge of the treasury. That is a position of status and power, as seen by him riding on a chariot. Like That's, again, status and power. He is literate. Uh, he knows how to read in a world that was very illiterate. He had a scroll. Scrolls were very rare and expensive. I mean, they were copied by hand. So here's a guy. He is rich, powerful, educated, successful. Second, he's from Ethiopia, which probably refers to the region, a region of Sudan today. Ethiopia was considered to be at the very edge, maybe even a little bit beyond the Roman Empire, so that to the first century reader, Ethiopia would have been considered like the ends of the earth. This was like the very edge of their known world. We see that he's searching. He traveled all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, that's a, that's a long trip, even for us today, right? He traveled all the way there, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. Like, he is very interested in the God of the Jews, and then number four, uh, what's that, four? He, uh, he, when he goes to Jerusalem, because he's a foreigner, he only would have been allowed into the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. But he's a eunuch, meaning he was probably castrated, which, according to Mosaic law, would have prevented him from entering the temple property at all. Like, he would have traveled all this way only to be kept out. This guy was an Outsider in so many ways, like by geography, race, and ethnicity, even by Mosaic law. And yet, how is it that this guy becomes one of the very first Christians? How'd that happen? Well, the story begins with an angel telling Philip to go down this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, and the passage adds it's a desert road. Right? The Spirit leads Philip to this desert place. And then he sees this Ethiopian on a chariot reading a scroll, and the Spirit says to him, go over to the chariot. Right? The Spirit is directing Philip to go and talk with this Ethiopian. But I just want us to notice how many coincidences are happening here. Philip happens to be uh, on this desert road and meets a traveler where on a desert road where I'm sure there weren't very many travelers uh, and he happens to meet an Ethiopian 
how many Ethiopians do you think Philip has ever met? And this Ethiopian is coming from Jerusalem, reading Isaiah, from Isaiah, prophecies about Jesus, like the Jesus he had been living with for the last three years, you know, a disciple of... And this traveler has questions, and he wants someone to help him understand. What are the chances of that just all happening? And then add that as they're talking, they come across some water on this desert road. So that the Ethiopian eunuch says, why shouldn't I be baptized? And so he's baptized. I mean, (coughs) how did all that happen? This is not just a series of convenient coincidences, right? This isn't just a really lucky, lucky day. This encounter was orchestrated by God through natural and supernatural means, right? God wanted this conversation to happen. God was putting these two men together. God was actively, intentionally pursuing this Ethiopian to bring him into his kingdom, into his church. See, the early church didn't drift into inclusivity. God was leading the church to cross those barriers. And the church, they were just following along. That's a theme I want us to recognize in this section of Acts. Uh, Like in the next chapter, chapter 9, we see the story of Saul. Saul's on his way to Damascus to arrest these Christians on the road. Jesus appears to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And then God... Uh, speaks to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Saul, help him to see, because I have chosen him to be my instrument to Jews and Gentiles. Saul, persecutor of the church, hated Christians, killed Christians, not someone you would expect to become a Christian, let alone an apostle. But Jesus, Jesus revealed himself to Saul. Jesus sent Ananias to Saul. Saul wasn't supposed to become a Christian, except that God wanted him. Next chapter, chapter 10, we see the story of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who has his vision telling him to send for this guy named Peter, who's in a neighboring town. Meanwhile, as those messengers are coming, Peter has a vision of his own, where there's a sheet that comes down from heaven holding all these animals. Animals, the kind of animals Jews were not supposed to eat. But the voice says, eat. Peter protests, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice says, do not call unclean what God has made clean. And while Peter is having this vision, those messengers from Cornelius arrive. And the Spirit says to Peter, there are these guys, they've come for you, and I want you to go with them. So the next day, Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, and it's kind of this funny scene, because neither of them really knows what's going on. Peter says, "Uh, so why did you send for me? And Cornelius says, well, I had this vision telling me that I should send for you, and and hear what you have to say. <laughs> and both of them are kind of thinking the other person knows what's going on until Peter realizes that God had sent him there to share Jesus with this Gentile, this Roman centurion. And while he does so, the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and all those who had gathered. You see, Cornelius didn't just happen to become a Christian. God showed him a vision. God showed Peter a vision. 
he brought them together and then he poured out his spirit on Cornelius and his household. This encounter was completely orchestrated by God. God was actively, intentionally pursuing Cornelius. This Roman centurion, he too would be part of his kingdom, part of his church. See, the early church didn't drift into crossing barriers to reach out to Ethiopian eunuchs and Jewish persecutors and Roman centurions. No, God was leading the early church to cross those barriers. And the church, right, they're just trying to understand what's happening. They're just following along. What we see is God is a barrier-crossing God. Our God is a barrier-crossing God. In the context of Acts, He has sent us from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Laman Sane, an African Christian professor at Yale, wrote, Whose religion is Christianity? And he points out that all major religions, except Christianity, are localized the regions where they began. 96% of Muslims live in the Middle East, Africa, and South Asia. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. 98% of Hindus live in India, South Asia. Sane points out that Christianity is the only truly worldwide religion. According to the Pew Research Center, about 25% of Christians are in South and Central America. 25% are in Europe. 25% are in Sub-Saharan Africa. About 13% in Asia. 12% in North America. Christianity is the only truly worldwide religion. And Sane goes on to explain that he believes this is because Christianity doesn't destroy but affirms different cultures. That embedded in the story of Christianity are themes of incarnation and inclusivity. And so he says that it, this helped Africans become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Our God is a barrier-crossing God. So that Christianity is a worldwide religion. I want to pause for a moment to consider the role of the Holy Spirit. Right? God explicitly led Philip to that desert road and approached the chariot. God explicitly led Ananias to go pray for Saul. God explicitly told Cornelius to send for Peter and told Peter to go to Cornelius. Now, I have to confess, I... um. I don't get too many of those visions or hear those voices. And actually, I think that's okay. I think the Bible suggests that that kind of direct guidance is more the exception than the rule. But on the other hand, I do believe that the Holy Spirit does guide us. Sometimes he does prompt us. And I want to encourage us to, well, to be open to that. To invite that, to be still and listen for that. Uh, another thing we should notice uh, as we think about how the Holy Spirit sometimes guides us, guides the early church, guides us, is the role of prayer. Because in this story of Peter and Cornelius, what's, what we see very clearly is that both men were praying. 
when they had the Spirit reveal things to them. Uh, notice verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He had just gone up to pray, and then he received the vision, which is how he explains the story in Acts 11. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. And then when Peter arrives, Cornelius explains what had happened to him. He says, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house, and behold, a man stood before me. In verse 2, Cornelius is described as a devout man who feared God and prayed continually to God. Now, we want to make a distinction between descriptive and prescriptive. Like These passages are just telling us a story of what happened between Peter and Cornelius. It's not necessarily teaching us that we're supposed to do what they did, and if we do, you know, we'll experience what they experienced. But I, I do think it's worth noting this connection between a life of prayer and a life of being led and guided by the Spirit. Because doesn't that make sense, right? The more we talk with God and commune with God, focus on God, the more likely we are to hear from God, to be... to to be attentive to how he might be prompting us or leading us. And that's a picture I get in the book of Acts, that the early Christians, they were devoted to prayer. They were filled with the Spirit, that they were led by the Spirit, that hearing promptings of God, being led by the Spirit, is part of a bigger spiritual life with God, a spiritual life that's marked by prayer. So what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit was pushing the church to cross barriers. It wouldn't naturally cross, right? These early Christians, they wouldn't naturally have reached out to Ethiopians and Romans and persecutors. They didn't drift into inclusivity. This was God's idea. And the Holy Spirit was pushing them out of their comfort zones to cross these barriers. So a little warning for us. As we seek to submit to, yield, be yielded to, to be attentive to the Spirit, as we prayerfully seek God, that Spirit may, may take us out of our comfort zones, may call us to cross some barriers of our own. But maybe, like the early church, that is how we will become a more inclusive community ourselves. As one small step, I want to give you a suggestion. Would you consider praying, Lord, help me make the way a more welcoming, inviting, hospitable, inclusive community. Use me. Use me in that way. Lead me. And then, After praying like that, I invite you to go and reach out to somebody, someone outside your normal circle of friends. Go and and take a step. And, you know, especially in this time of social distancing, or even even when it's not, it's always, it's nice to be reached out to. I'm sure it would be well received. Take a step. Wouldn't you ask for the guidance and then take a step toward inclusivity? Well, back to the story. What did the Ethiopian, what was he reading from that Isaiah scroll on that desert road when that stranger approached him in his chariot? 
we see in Acts 8, this passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Jesus, he's an outsider who suffers injustice, even to death. But he suffers without defense, without resistance, without protest. And he has no descendants, it says. And I think that would have caught the attention of the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? No descendants, no children, no lineage, no legacy. See, in a world where your lineage was your identity, where your family name and honor was the highest priority, the Ethiopian eunuch, despite all his other success, probably he felt bankrupt because, well, he had no kids, no lineage, no legacy. So I, I think it meant something to him to see this Jesus, this outsider with no descendants, and he's being put to death with justice. Like, why? What's going on? What, why is this happening? And I think the Ethiopian probably wrestled with that question. But right in that passage of Isaiah, this is actually Isaiah 53, he would have just read these verses. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered for us. Our transgressions, our iniquities. We have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why he had no justice. That's why he had no descendants. That's why he was put to death. It was for us. And then Philip he must have told the Ethiopian about this Jesus, this Jesus who, really, it was just a few weeks, just died on the cross. God, and, then, and then how God raised him from the dead, showing that this Jesus, this suffering servant of Isaiah, who died on the cross, is also Lord and Messiah. And the Ethiopian responds, I, I want to be baptized. I, I want to follow Jesus. What makes Christianity so inclusive is it says we're all sinners. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, every one of us, we're all broken. Jews, Greeks, Romans, Ethiopians, rabbis, centurions, we're all sinners. Liberals, conservatives, gay, straight, young, old, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. We're all sinners. That before God, no of this makes any difference. No one is better or worse than another. That before God, none of us can look down on anybody, nor do we have to look up to anybody. We're all on the same level. Because you see, the Bible says, what used to give us significance, what we used to hold on to, the thing that we said, you see, look, look, this is what I have. This this actually doesn't matter. Our ethnicity, our nationality, our profession, social class, gender, profession, reputation, our morality, our, our generosity, our authenticity, our, our creativity, none of that actually matters. That doesn't score any points or, 
or achieve anything before God. See, Christianity says we're all on the same, we're on a level playing field. The walls are broken down. We're all in the same category. We are all sinners who need grace. And what makes a Christian a Christian is believing that Jesus is the one, the only one, who died for our sins, who was pierced for our transgressions, who suffered so that we could be forgiven and that we could be healed. Jesus is the one, the only one that God raised from the dead, saying that He's the Messiah, He is Lord, He is King. And so now, Christians, you see, we have a new source of identity, that we belong to Jesus, that we're forgiven, loved, and accepted, that we're part of His family that we have riches and status and security and an inheritance and hope. We have so much more. You see, Christianity takes away, it strips us of what we had been holding on to, and it gives us something better in Jesus, a new significance and identity in Jesus. And that... When we experience that, it gives us a humility and it gives us a strength and love to be generous and gracious and inclusive. See, that's what enables us to not hold so tightly to these other things that we use to distinguish ourselves, you know, our, our, our race or class or profession or reputation. We, we can let go of those things because now we have a new value system. We have a new value system through which we see ourselves and through which we see other people. And we'll talk more about that next week. Maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch, you're, you're on a spiritual journey and you want to understand this I, Jesus. That's why you came to church today. And maybe... Kind of like what we said about these other things. Maybe that wasn't an accident. Maybe that's not a coincidence. Maybe you are meant to hear that Jesus offers you to take your place, to take your punishment, to take your sins, so that instead of being an outsider, He would be an outsider, so that you could become an insider, so that you can be forgiven and become part of the family of God that He can give you a greater identity and a greater significance and free you so that actually from from deep within, you too can become from within a gracious and inclusive person. It is not our human instinct to be inclusive. In fact, uh, as we look around today, right, we just see so much division, especially in race and politics, we don't know how to cross barriers. Like our nation is being torn apart. But what we see in the Bible is God is a barrier crossing God. God was proactively, intentionally building his church to be an inclusive new society from every tribe and nation. And the spirit that was at work then is, we believe, the same spirit that is at work in us today. That may very well push us out of our own comfort zones and cause us to cross barriers. And the good news of Jesus gives us the humility 
and the strength and love to become truly generous and radically inclusive people. And so we pray, Lord, would you do that here at The Way by your Spirit? Show us, show, may we be the people that you want your church to be. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess, yeah, our hearts tend to shrink in on itself. <laughs> we just want to be comfortable. We like to be people who are like us, like to be with people who are like us. Uh, and yet, Lord, you are so much bigger. And you're, you're, what you want for the church is so much bigger. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would be leading us, prompting us, challenging us to get out of our comfort zones, to cross these barriers, to become the church that you desire the church to be. And Lord, would you show us through Jesus that we are forgiven, that we are healed, that we are loved, that we have something more. We have something more so that more than being politically correct or caring about diversity or inclusivity for them sake, for their own sakes, Lord, we are displays of your graciousness and your power. Display it, Lord, here through your church and your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.